Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. I want to give you some things that that I use personally. Uh, As you consider walking through uh, a sermon and preparing a sermon, there are some uh, steps that I go through. Uh, that I that I find useful for me. Maybe they'll be beneficial for you. Uh, and there's a variety of ways of, of approaching um, in preparing a sermon. But I, I want to give you a, a suggested guideline, if you will. Number one, choose the text. Choosing a text is, is easy if you're doing chapter by chapter or verse by verse, some kind of exposition. Um, if your opportunity is a special occasion, you know, maybe you've been invited to fill in for another preacher or, or another class or whatever. Um, and in those cases, you may be free to choose the topic or the text of your choice. So in choosing a text, number one, James 1 and verse 5 would, would teach us, pray for wisdom on what to teach. Um, you know, you're going to consider the people that you're going to talk to, that you're preaching to. Uh, consider the occasion, consider the time. Is it going to be 10 minutes or 45? You're considering the needs of the church or, or maybe a dominant concern of the people. Uh, you're considering what what scriptures have blessed you re- recently and especially something that, that you're excited about, uh, spiritually speaking. You're going to carry that. You're going to carry that sermon a whole different way. And that's going to be beneficial for you and for them. So choosing a text, but then number two, prayerfully meditate on that text. You know, you're going to pray and ask God to help you think clearly. Uh, what does this say, Lord? Um, you know, pray pray that your eyes uh, of your heart, the ears of your heart are opened uh, to see the wonderful things that are in the Word. I'm thinking um, Ephesians 1.18, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 7. Read through that passage multiple times. I mean, ten times. I mean, read it, read it three times in a row. Walk away, do something, come back to it, read it that night, read it before you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning. Soak, soak it in. Turn it over and over in your mind. Uh, meditate, dwell, um, hover over this passage. And, and scribble down your thoughts, your initial insights. What are you, what are you seeing? <clears throat> you know, what, what are some things that, that you already know about the text? Um, but, don't, but don't go to the text to prove your point. Go to the text to find the point. Um, so choose the text, prayerfully meditate on the text, and then study that passage. Looking up cross-references, compare Scripture with Scripture, examine the context, do as much research as you need um, in the commentaries, in the Bible dictionaries, uh, background notes, uh, you, know, you know, whatever. Um, asking the who, what, when, where, why, uh, the how questions. Get a, get a firm grasp on what the text says and what the text actually means. And then begin typing out your sermon, writing your sermon. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's um, you may like to cut and paste the entire passage from, from Scripture uh, that you're going to be covering. Um, but I would say write it down, write it down, type it out in your computer. It, you remember it better that way. You see the flow of the verse better that way. Um, maybe if you're going to put it into your, you know, maybe operate from an, an iPad Pro every now and then. And so I change the words uh, from blue. You know, if it's Old Testament passage or, or, or New Testament passage, I'll, I'll put in red. Um, I'll, I'll plug in my notes, my comments. I'm going to take my Apple Pencil, and I'm going to highfalutinly and just dashingly write all over that thing. I'm going to wear this thing out. 
using different colors for fonts or for scripture, you know, using comments that you have. I know one preacher, uh, he, he has sticky notes, little yellow sticky notes. Those are his, the way he preaches. And he just puts them in, his, puts them in the Bible there. And, um, and as he's preaching, he just, he just peels his notes out and goes through his sermon that way. Um, but, but, but you want to choose the text. You want to prayerfully meditate on the text. You want to study the passage. And then you want to write it out. You want to type it out uh, and just flesh it out in your mind. Um, this isn't something that you're going to preach from per se. Um, notes can be crutches. Uh, they can be, not necessarily, but they can be. And so I know some preachers that go up there with a word-for-word sermon. Uh, I don't, for me personally, I don't find that beneficial. Uh, the brethren know it and they see it. You're tied to your notes. Uh, and it's just better when it's from the overflow. You've just soaked up this passage so much this past week um, that, you, that you know it. And then next, I would say, you know, prepare your conclusion and introduction. I wouldn't do that first. I wouldn't introduce a sermon that way or when I'm writing a sermon, preparing a sermon. Um, I'm going to get my text. I'm going to get the wisdom from God. I'm going to study about it. And then insert my conclusions, insert my introductions. Um, and, and we'll get into conclusions and, induction, and introductions later on uh, in this podcast. But, but I just wanted to give you just a quick word um, about that. Prepare your conclusion uh, and introduction after the body of the sermon is finished. We'll get into that later on this season. But anyway, um, maybe then print out a prelim, pre- preliminary, that's a big word, uh, copy of your notes. Uh, go over them. Go, go over it with a pencil. You know, write through it. Work through it. Um, find some quiet time. Prayerfully go over your notes, uh, your sermon. Um, and it's amazing how many things you're going to spot, some things that you're going to want to change or move around once you see it actually on paper. So crossing things off, adding things in, writing new notes, you're, you're on the lookout for things that, that are not necessarily worded clearly. Uh, you're proofing where you are and, and the thoughts that you want to put forth. Um, you're crossing off things that aren't necessary. And then I would say go, go back to your computer, um, make the final changes, uh, and, and then print, print your notes. You know, highlight keywords. Uh, sometimes I put, if I am, if I am preaching with notes, uh, I'm going to put some words uh, that, that I know that this is the part where I'm going to um, be about inflection here. Uh, I'm going to preach the spirit of the text, and this is what the spirit of the text calls for. So I may put that in, in bold and italicized. Uh, because sometimes you come across things in, in your preaching that you just you forget, to, you forget to word them in the way that you wanted to word them. And this is much, as much as this is a, a, a time of worship, it's also a time of edification. And it's a, it's a time of proclamation. And you want it to be as impactful for the church as it is for you. And then pray. Um, begin and end every sermon with prayer. Um, commit the teaching to the Lord. Um, that's, that's what you want. Then, I would say, uh, not only um, you know, these, these, these guidelines, but, but let's, let's say a note about the actual verse itself um, or the verses you may cite. Make sure that the verses that, you, that you're citing, that you're using, support the actual point that you are making when they are properly interpreted in their own context. Matthew twenty two twenty nine, 29, Jesus said, you're mistaken, you're not understanding the Scriptures. When you're preparing a sermon, 
and you're looking for verses that that will support or add weight to a point that you are making, it can be easy. It can be so easy to inadvertently use a verse that sounds like it, that sounds like your point, but it does not actually support your point. And the reason this can happen is because you're, you're usually not spending as much time studying the context of those other peripheral passages. You're, you're honed in on the one, and so you may just hit, a, you may just hit um, in your search uh, a particular word and find verses, and you think, oh, well, that matches, and let's just go with it. Let's throw that in there, ad lib or whatever. But, um, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're teaching through Matthew 24, uh, and you come to the verse where Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, you notice that Jesus speaks here <clears throat> realistically of the, the indestructibleness of his word, and you decide that you want to show that this is something that scriptures talk about elsewhere. And so you look up the word preserve, and you find out where um, God assures us that he will preserve his word. Psalm 12 and verse 7, You shall keep them, O Lord, you shall preserve them uh, from this generation forever. And you say, oh, that's, that's great, that's interesting. And so you, you back up that verse and you see it and... Um, but verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure, pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of, of earth, purified seven times. Um, and you say, perfect. And so you cut and paste, you know, uh, verse 7 right into your notes. Then you teach it. Unfortunately, uh, you've just inadvertently mishandled the Bible. You are commissioned by God, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, to rightly divide the word of truth, and you have wrongly done it. You stated something that is true. God will preserve His Word, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. <coughs> Excuse me. But you used a verse that, that when correctly interpreted in its context does not support your point. And this isn't a podcast about taking time and going to verse Psalm 12. And, but if you take a look at it, Psalm 12, 7 is actually speaking about the people and not the Scriptures. You might say, well, at least my point was true. You know, the verse did not support it. Um, but it's true. But that's a danger. And that's making the Bible say something that it did not say in that verse and in that passage. That's an abuse of Scripture. Gentlemen, let me warn you. Do not be sloppy with your exposition. Your brethren know more than you think. Sloppy exposition can hurt your credibility. Some of your listeners have studied Psalm 12 or what other passage that you may cite. In its context, they will realize the error that you're making and you will instantly lose some credibility with them. They will see that you are mishandling God's Word, even though it may be an honest mistake. Without any harm intended, your credibility will suffer. And this is going to make it harder for them to trust you in the future, even if you get it right from here on out. And that just takes time. But do not be sloppy with your exposition. Do not be sloppy with your key verses and your peripheral verses. Make sure when you step up to that pulpit, when you step up to the plate, swing and swing for the fences, my daddy told me growing up. If you're going to play, swing for the fence every single time. And so when you walk up there, you know the context of every verse that you're preaching, every verse that you're citing and using, and you're about to, you're about to open it up in front of them and let them all see it. Sloppy exposition can, can hurt a listener's confidence not only in you 
but in the truth of Scripture. Because the next time your listener is reading through Psalm 12 on their own and they discover the real meaning of the text, then they're going to lose confidence in the original truth that you shared with them. God is going to preserve His Word. But the verse that you used, it doesn't teach that. And this loss of confidence um, and realistically resulting in confusion is the fallout of a teacher's sloppy handling of God's Word. If, if you want to avoid throwing out these kinds of hermeneutical grenades, interpretations that explode long after you've thrown them, I would encourage you, make sure the verses you look at, they cite, they quote, they actually support the point you're making when they are properly interpreted in their own context. This is another reminder of why it is so important to know the Word of God. If you had, if you had previously studied Psalm 12, you would not have made that mistake. So not only when we think about developing a sermon, we pray before, we pray after, we're choosing a text, we're going to study the text, we're going to meditate on it, we're going to type it out, we're going to print it out and, you know, go through it nine times. Um, but you're going to make sure that these verses are actually preaching what you're preaching. Um, but let's talk about this third one and this last one. Here. Pointing people to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And at the, at the close of a service, a preacher was stopped by a gentleman. And uh, you know how it is. You're out back. You're standing in the foyer. You're shaking hands. You're kissing babies, naming boats running for mayor and dog catcher, all the above. But this one fellow stopped him and he said, your sermon had a lot of great things in it, a lot of commendable features, blah, blah, blah. But he said it had one noticeable defect. And of course, that startled the preacher. And uh, he inquired, he said, well, what is it? And, uh, and the gentleman said, I'm a Jew and I have only recently been born again. Um, up to that time, I had attended synagogue my whole life. And he said, there was nothing in your sermon that I could not have heard in the synagogue, nothing that a, a Jewish rabbi um, might not have preached. That, said the preacher uh, in later years, was the greatest lesson in homiletics that I have ever taught. It seems to me, and probably you too, based on the feedback that we're getting from God's people, uh, and pew research and preacher research in all the areas of North America that there is a drought of Christ-centered preaching today uh, all around the world, preaching that magnifies Jesus, that extols His attributes, uh, preaching that holds Him up, says to believers and non-believers alike, you know, run to Jesus. He is your God. He is your help. He is your hope. He is your salvation. You know, turn to Him, all, all the ends of the earth, and be saved. I'm afraid Mary might might say the same thing uh, in some churches today that she's, she said standing outside of the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. Uh, they have taken away my Lord, <laughs> and I don't know where they've laid him. John 20 and verse 13. Charles Spurgeon said, I have heard of ministers who can preach a sermon without mentioning the name of Jesus from beginning to end. If you ever hear such a sermon as that, mind that you never hear another one from that man. Spurgeon said those words because the Bible is ultimately about our Lord, uh, our, our Savior, our Jesus, and He's our Christ. And, and, and it was He Himself who affirmed this to be the case in Luke 24. Luke records it, 
and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained to them the things concerning who, himself, uh, where, in all the scriptures. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I, I was with you, I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, Luke 24, 27, and 44. On numerous occasions, the New Testament affirms that Jesus is the theme, the theme of the Old Testament Scripture. Um, Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, he gives the concise summary of how all eight sections of the Bible point to Jesus. And if you want to uh, flip over to the Facebook page, I'm going to put this as an infographic for you this week. And... Um, <clears throat> I'm sure it'll be beneficial to you. <coughs> Excuse me. But concerning the law, history books, and all those things, I'm going to put those on the on the Facebook page. So, so tune in and, and and grab a hold of that. But the scriptures are um, Christocentric, which is Christ Christ centered. That's a that's a big word for that. Jesus said, "You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify to me. But you are not willing to come to me." that you may have life, John 5, 39 through 40. And a lot of what Jesus says here, and in the passage that I quoted in Luke 24, whenever you're preparing for a teaching, uh, I would encourage you to ask yourself, how about this passage point to Jesus? Uh, the answer to that question is something that you should prayerfully consider, uh, including in your preaching and your teaching. <coughs> Excuse me. Having said that, don't, don't mistakenly think that every verse in the Bible speaks directly or explicitly of Jesus. It doesn't. And that's not what Jesus meant in Luke 24 or in John 5. Every text of Scripture is the part of the one story, His story, history, which has its ultimate focus in Him. Uh, but not every verse. And so consider those things as you're developing your sermons, as you're putting those things together, as you... As you begin to help God's people um, and help them with the sermon, um, you're, you're considering your sermon, you're considering your text, you're prayerful about it, you work through it, you work it that week, <clears throat> you're prayerful at the end, you're making sure that your verses that you cite, your peripheral verses, actually support your point, and you point people to Jesus. And by doing so, we will be blessed in our deeds and in our doing. God bless you in your teaching and preaching of His Word.